What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. So Eric, I think we know each other well enough for me to say that you kind of sound like the eight-year-old who only wants to eat chicken tenders. That wow. sounds really mean, doesn't it? <laughs> it? No, let me try that again. Hey, everyone. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 42. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. I'm so happy to welcome Eric Fisher to the show today. He's a productivity podcaster, speaker, and coach, and host of the wonderful podcast Beyond the To-Do List, which was one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. On his show, Eric talks with real people about all aspects of productivity, which means not just getting work done, but also living a good life. Eric's also a big reader, and in this episode, we talk about how he's made the switch back to paper books, how he hates to waste time on bad books, and, of course, what he should read next. Let's get to it. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is an honor, a privilege, and, well, other things. Anyway. Well, it's great to have you. Okay, so we first connected because of your own podcast, Beyond the To-Do List. How does it feel to be in the other chair? I like it. I love it. I, I, podcasting, whether it's me leading it or being led, hey, I'm all about it. Well, you certainly have the voice for it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So something I want to hear about now is your podcast is about productivity. So everybody thinks about you as the productivity guy. Are we going to hear that reflected in your book choices today? I think you will. And I think you'll find that it's that weird non-productivity side of productivity that gets reflected. Okay. If that even makes sense. You're going to have to unpack that a little. Sure. What I mean is, well, without going into my choices just yet, you'll see that it's not just about email and to-do lists, hence the name of my show, Beyond the To-Do List. It's about accomplishment and feeling satisfaction in having done a good day's work, but then what that means for the rest of your life and the rest of your day even. It's about having things ordered and organized, as I know you know very much about, um, but then also being flexible and willing to throw it all to the wind and have an adventure 
and know that on a macro level, things are okay. So it's about being productive in search of something larger than I just keep wanting to come back yes. to to-do list, which makes it sound like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know. Can we say drinking game on a books podcast? I, I bet you could with, with coffee, with coffee, of course. Okay. Um, so in search of the greater good, that's what we're going to hear about. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's about productivity and purpose. So when I think about having you on the show, of course, the books that spring to mind immediately are the big productivity books, which it would be categorically wrong for me to recommend to you <laughs> because one, you already know what they are. What's the point? And two, yeah, totally cheating. No, I like, you know, David Allen getting things done. Yeah. Okay. We can recommend that. But like, if you're into productivity, you've probably already read it. Yes. True story. I really like those episodes on your podcast, by the way, Okay, (laughs) because you've talked to him a few times. You probably don't need me to tell you to read the book. No, no, not at all. So we're not going there. Eric, are you much of a reader? Where does reading fit into your life? I'm a huge reader. And in fact, reader reading has been a huge deal for me. And actually, over time, it it slowly, I I think my cell phone got in the way of it. And Uh, yeah, who has the knowing laugh? I think yes. a lot of people relate to that. Um, and and so then I thought, ooh, so if I have a device that I can re- always read on, then I can be reading books all the time on that. Like my Kindle app on my phone was going to help me read more. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not quite. Yeah, uh, it, it's really more about and and I I used to I used to read a lot more digitally than I do these days. I have gone very Luddite in my reading uh, preference and gone back to tangible paper books. I just prefer them. I feel more connected to the, to the material when I do that. So when you're holding a hardcover paperback or whatever, your brain knows that you're not just standing in checkout lines, scrolling through your Instagram feed. I I think, I think our brains know. (laughs) I think we're kidding ourselves if we, we pretend. So Eric is reading business for you or pleasure or both? Well, it's both. I am the kind of person who can zip through like I, I when I pick business books, I pick business books that are very thought provoking and not necessarily instructional. Um, when I'm getting instruction, I actually kind of aim more towards video in ter- that's more my learning style. Mm-hmm. But when it but but a business book that's going to spur on that are going to plant seeds in my mind and then let them grow there for a while and then have me think and cultivate them, then I, you know, that's entertaining for me. But then I also love my, you know, fiction stuff. Although, and I don't know that I mentioned this to you before, but I'm a, I'm a comic book reader also. So that's kind of my reading entertainment too. I think you know how this works. You tell me three books you love, one book you hate and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you should read next. So I'm very, since you were clearly holding back and thank you for that. Yeah. But now we're ready. Let's dive into your favorites. What's the first book you love? All right. Well, the first book that I love is by far, it's A Million Miles in a Thousand Years Mm -hmm. by Donald Miller. Mm -hmm. I had read other stuff by him prior to this one, this book, but this book really hit on all cylinders for me. Like I was just, I was captivated by it. Um, I was able to, and and so the background on this is essentially, it's, it's actually, it's actually quite meta. First and foremost, Donald Miller had written a pretty popular book called Blue Like Jazz. And 
that then got optioned to become a movie. So he was he was asked to help write the script. But in the coordinating and uh, collaborating even of writing that script, he had to learn the script or not script writing, screenwriting principles of how to, you know, what what movie producers use to turn um, scripts into actual stories, you know, because even great books, I mean, you know this, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't a, the book was better, kind of thing, <laughs> you know, when it comes to the, the book versus movie uh, dichotomy there. And, and there are principles that make, you know, movies better or and or books better. And, and they're different mediums. And so he then took those screenwriting principles and applied them as he was learning about them, he applied them to how do you write a new story or a how do you write a new chapter in your life that is filled with meaning and purpose? In other words, tell a great story with your life and here's how. And by the way, here's how I kind of did it myself as I you know, created experience experiences for myself is, uh-huh. is basically how he puts it. Okay. Eric, do you have an opinion on the two subtitles of the book? Do you even know there are two subtitles? There are two subtitles? Yeah. They changed it and it really bothered me because I liked the first one. And I wondered if that is the first cut is the deepest or if it's truly better. So subtitle one, what I learned by editing my life, which I don't know that I ever heard that one. Really? Subtitle yeah. two, is this the familiar one? How I learned to live a better story. Yeah. You know what? I don't know that there was ever a subtitle on it when I first read it, but maybe it, well, anyway, so the, the, and, and biking plays a prominent piece in the, the, the book. There's a section where he basically rides his bike with a bunch of people across the United States. Uh-huh. And so the cover is a, a, a bike wheel and there's this, the center is a, a circle and there's spokes and, what i am staring at the cover right now i've seen this cover for years it's a bicycle yeah huh. how about yeah. that it's a close-up of a bicycle I, even. I don't know i guess i thought it was a ferris wheel but that's totally a bike chain it could have been yeah, yeah but it's totally it's totally bike spokes the bike gear the bike chain and the so the, the subtitle is actually kind of hidden it's in the center and so I don't know that I ever paid too much attention to it. I um, I always was just focusing in on a million miles in a thousand years. And I just kept thinking to myself, what the heck does that mean? You know, I don't know if I could tell you. It's a really cool title, but I don't know that I actually know what it means. It's It's thrown out in one of his kind of more poetic sections of the book or, or a poetic, more poetic paragraph, I should say. And it really just has to do with how far we it, it feels like we can travel as we are living out this exciting and meaningful story of our lives as we start to tell that story better. At least that's as far as I remember. It's been a while. Since <laughs> I've actually, it's been a while since I've reread this. It so. makes people pick it up, and it, that's really it does. that's what Donald Miller cares about. Yes, to put words in his mouth. Yes. Okay. Cool. What's book two? So book two is a little bit different um, by another author. And, and so what's so if I can go two seconds on, on what's really kind of meta for me yeah, is yeah, yeah. one, I've now met Donald a couple of different times in real life, which just is still, if there's anybody that I've ever been kind of starstruck by that's been on my podcast, 
it's been him. Um, he, and, and then part two to that is that I've actually been to some of his seminar stuff and speaking stuff and even been in like his backyard and in his writing cabin, mm-hmm. like he showed it to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm standing here in his writing cabin. <laughs> like, so if I can just geek out for two seconds there. It, it 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 really does like I don't know that we're ever intended to like actually meet our the the authors that we read, but it's a surreal experience, and then you have to kind of get over it quickly because then you feel like an idiot if you stay <laughs> there too long. So, anyways, um, there's that one, and then Rob Bell. I was able to talk to him too, and his book "How to Be Here: A Guide to Creating a Life Worth Living." This one is so I very much intentionally if you if anybody knows of Rob Bell, they know that he a long time ago was a started off as a pastor at a church, gradually moved into more and more speaking and video speaking type content and then started writing books and became somewhat controversial here and there. And what I did with my interview with him was I was so glad to see this book come out because I knew that with this book, I could have a conversation with him all about being present and having awareness and having margin and pacing in your life, all great aspects of productivity that don't get talked about Mm -hmm. enough. And that I would be able to not even have to go into, um, rigid doctrine and theology and all of that kind of stuff. And yet I knew he could lend that sage wisdom esque part of himself to this. So, so the book is really cool. It traces kind of these different, like it's not set up. It's set up way more as stories and anecdotes than it is prescriptive business applicability to like, here's how to create margin in your life, or here's how to take a day off, or here, you know, it's way more about the fact that we are living, breathing human being creatures that are not meant to work seven days a week. And, uh, and then there's some other pieces to it, like the fact that sometimes there are pieces of jobs that we are required to do that we don't want to do, but we do them. I love the part in the book where he talks about success versus craft, that craft is this thing that we should be striving for. The the example he gives is that success is all about always getting more, but craft is that I get to do this. And the title being here now or be how to be here is all about that. Hey, if you're in a, if you're in a job right now that you don't want or don't love and then maybe even hate, then change your perspective on that job and where you are right now and learn the craft of what that job is right now. You, a garbage man can be, can approach his position as a, a civil servant in a sense and learn the best way to do that and, and the best craft of that. I mean, you, you, we've got different people doing, you know, it, it's, it's the barista who's learning how to do, how to make coffee in the, those, the best way possible or the craft, it's, it's literally in the word, the craft beer people who make this thing 
out of out of ingredients and perfect it and learn how to perfect it. And so even in a mundane job, learning how to perfect and move towards doing great work in any work that you do is it was just a really good it's it's a great inspiring thing and and then you mix that in with the other things we talked about in terms of like and that are in the book in terms of like creating rhythms and routines and rituals and the necessity that we have for those things i mean i can tell you now that you know our our reading time that we our time that we spend reading is so much in tune with those rhythms and routines and rituals. I bet we do it for that very reason. In fact, I kind of remember those parts from Rob Bell's book, but what I really remember is when he got the concussion. Yes. Something about a burrito, how he was marveling at this thing of beauty that was his dinner because he had a concussion. I was experiencing everything for the first time. Yes. Yeah. It was as if suddenly he had no ability to remember prior to that moment and had no ability to have anxiety about the future. And so there only was a here and now. And <laughs> I even likened it to that was the moment that he get, got bit by the uh, radioactive spider and grew that superpower of having awareness of the here and the now. And that he, you know, gradually moving forward, he started to remember things and started to be able to think and move forward into the future. But he retained some of that ability moving forward, which that was prior to all his, you know, writing of the books and everything. So again, it's kind of like that is his superpower. You know, you said you like comic books. If we could get Rob Bell's people on like a graphic novel edition, I think it could really, we could do something with that. I think that would be cool. Yeah, with burritos and radioactive spiders. Yes, I could see that. There's an audience for that. I'm sure there is. There totally is. Eric, did you ever hear Rob Bell on Elizabeth Gilbert's podcast? Do you even know that's a thing? No, I, I do know. Yes, I do know. I did not hear that episode. Okay, so Rob Bell was on her podcast, and she took a listener call that said, I have a job working at a call center doing customer service, and it is destroyed like it is stomping over my soul help me and he had he had an answer that's exactly like you're talking about like no matter what your work is you can maybe find a way to not let it crush you and even to find some meaning in it while you're planning to get out of dodge but yeah that was really interesting we'll put it in well and and you and i both have a a connection uh actually i think that's how we first met and and your husband for that matter we all met because of john acuff we were at a conference of his You're making this hard for me so far because I feel like I understand exactly what you like and I can't recommend any of it to you because you already know. Okay, so what's – throw me a bone. What's book three? Okay, so book three is really a whole bunch of books all in one. It's the complete Sherlock Holmes. Do you want to hear something funny? Yes. So listeners, I already knew this in advance. Eric told me his favorites, but he didn't tell me anything else. So I was looking it up on Amazon just to see what comes up, which is not how I recommend books because anybody could find a book that way. However, one of the top picks for you based on your love of Sherlock Holmes is the complete Jane Austen. Interesting. Is it a perfect fit, Eric? Well, wink, it, wink. Could be. <laughs> it could be. Yes, that is. Well, it's dead on for this conversation for sure. Um, it is. And because my wife is very much Jane Austen-esque, like, you know, Sense and Sensibility, one of her favorite Mm -hmm. movies. Mm -hmm. I have always, I mean, she and I would watch Downton Abbey together. We have all of that kind of, you know, that that style of drama and human 
well, I guess drama is the right word, but we, we have that in common. And so, yeah, I think that is actually very fitting. It's a different flavor of, see, for me, Sherlock Holmes is almost the, the earliest superhero. He's, he's Batman in Britain. Oh, nice. Okay. So tell me how that ended up on your favorites list. Well, so I, I always was a fan. I, you know what? I think, I think in fact, Batman made me, a, uh, so, so junior high, this is before, you know, you, you grow up and you're like, oh yeah, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes. Like it's one of those popular characters that you just know from childhood, mm-hmm. but I'd never read any of it and always thought, oh, that's just going to be too hard. Well, I junior, you know, junior high, I was reading Batman comics. That was always my favorite character. And at some point in high school, late high school and in, into college, uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. Well, I was in the attic of my parents' house and found this thick, like we're talking three, four inches thick, leather bound, complete Sherlock Holmes book, which I co-opted from them. I took it. <laughs> Sorry, mom. And uh, I read through the entire thing in, in about a month. Like, And they're all short stories. Like every uh-huh. Sherlock Holmes is a short story. But the way that he would analytically and, and we're getting and we I mean most of us these days have a really good familiarity with this now based on the Benedict Cumberbatch um British the BBC TV show although they're more like movies um we get it like oh my gosh he sees things that other people don't see because he's trained himself to see that way um funny how that just tied into the other two books I mentioned is oh, this yeah, you totally got a paradigm shifting thing going yeah. on. And, and it's, it's that you train yourself to see things more than other people see them. And because of that, again, it's a superpower. I always, and so suddenly I'm like, oh my gosh, Sherlock, Sherlock has a superpower of he's this super mastermind. But good thing he's a good guy because if he wasn't, man, he could create the, the worst crimes in the world, which hence, there you go. You've got his Moriarty, his, his uh, arch nemesis. And just that, you know, that duality of it, even though Moriarty's not in the, the original stuff all that much, they, they play him up so much more in like movies and TV shows than he ever was in the original Conan Doyle stuff. But it's just, it was thrilling. It was, it was episodic in nature. It was thrilling. It was superhero-esque in the abilities that he would do. And for the fact that the way he would go about solving those mysteries, you just felt like, oh, duh, I should have seen that. I should be able to train my brain to be as sharp as his. And that just that intrigued me. Yeah, that is intriguing. I'm picturing Benedict Cumberbatch holding somebody's cell phone and going, well, clearly you're married to an alcoholic. You live 20.2 miles from here and you like to go running in the rain. And yes, yeah, yeah. And then he explains it all and blows your mind. Eric, what is a book that you don't love quite so much? <laughs> so I'm avoiding I, the H word. Yes. So avoiding the H word. I don't know that I've ever H worded a book before, <laughs> but because I, if I read, if I start to read something and I don't like it, I just probably am never going to come back around to it and finish it mm-hmm. or just never started in the first place. I, I just typically don't, uh, that word books, you know, I'm very selective before I ever get into anything. And I could say that I don't, I strongly don't like certain books, but that would be unfair um, to say that 
towards books that I've never actually read. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like I could name off popular books that I'm like, ew, I'm never going to read that. <laughs> but that's unfair. It, well, it's it's fair that I've got good judgment, but it's also unfair because I can't say that it's well, I can say that it's bad, but I can't say that I that I personally dislike it because I've never tried it. You know what I mean? Is it important to you that you uh, like know in advance that you aren't going to be wasting your time on a book? Because some people really love to try new things. They enjoy the thrill of the hunt and finding something amazing and unexpected. And some people, you know, they know that they like a certain dish at a restaurant and they order it every single time and knowing that they're going to get something they love. They know exactly what it's going to be and they're going to love it and they're going to be happy. That's important to them. So do you see yourself in either of those two scenarios? I mean, I know you don't see yourself in the like, let's, you would never be the blind date with a book kind of guy who's going to buy the book at the bookstore wrapped in brown paper because you don't know what it is. And maybe it's amazing. I mean, am I on the right track here? Oh yeah. I would never do that. I would (laughs) never, I would never do that. I would want to know what it is I'm getting into because I know the author already. Uh Um, so, so in a sense, it is still somewhat of a blind date because I don't know what that specific thing is going to be like. But at the same time, it's not a blind date because I've already gotten to know that author pretty well. Okay. Is it important to you to not waste time on bad books? That is see, that there is where the productivity person comes out in me is like life's too short to waste it on bad books. I, I, I cannot if, if I'm going to it's already hard enough for me to spend to make sure I spend enough quality time mm-hmm. reading good books, why would I let a bad book get into that mix? I'm very picky. So if you heard from, let's say, three people you know and trust and who know you to read a certain book and you had zero connection to the author and had never heard of it before, is that enough to go on for you? It is. In fact, that actually ties into what I am currently reading. Ooh, let's hear it. Uh, So what I'm currently reading is the Enneagram. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. Mm-hmm. It's by Richard Rohr and Andreas Ebert or mm-hmm. Andreas Ebert. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I first saw this a year ago when a friend of mine from from out of town was visiting and a bunch of us guy, guy friends got together and uh, they started talking about it. Not the book, but the Enneagram. Yeah. And then we were we went somewhere and one of them picked up the book and said yeah so here's the book and it was talking about it and anyway i had no clue but i was like what is this like a personality test like is it and i got that it was way deeper than that and it, and if, essentially it's ancient and you f- fill in the blanks here cuz you know about this too essentially it's an ancient kind of based on all this data sounds wrong when you can combine it with the word ancient, but (laughs) compiled, let's put it that way, compiled information studied from great people throughout history. And the, the gist of it is, is that there, there are many different personality types, but what it comes down to is that you find you're, you're, you're digging from a, um, an altruistic, uh, perspective. You're looking to see essentially what your true self is and become more of that. And as you're studying it, you're learning about what your, I guess, best way to put it is the mask is that you usually wear and how to get behind that 
or, or how to peel that away instead to, to be more the true person that you are. Is that anywhere near your experience of what you've had? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am so surprised you're reading that and really glad you shared that little backstory. Okay. So the personal recommendation, I don't feel confident enough to give this a <laughs> nutshell description, but basically it is, it's an ancient like personality typing system is what we'll call it. Although maybe personality should go in air quotes there. Yes. Um, there are nine types of people and you are one of them and you are inclined to go off the rails in a specific spectacular way depending on how you were born and how you were raised and how you formed as an adult because the enneagram your enneagram type isn't solidified until your 20s like some experts say don't even start thinking about what your type is until you're 30 yeah so basically it tells you all the ways you're awful <laughs> it's called i think Roar calls it a negative system because it um it does not make you feel warm and t fuzzy. Like when you nail your type, you're like, oh, ouch, that hurts. Yeah. Oh, and you know what else I love about Roar? He says, I don't know if he says it in that book or if I've just heard him say it about the Enneagram elsewhere. The truth will set you free. But first, it's going to make you really miserable. Do you relate oh, to yeah. that reading? Totally. It's it's that whole aspect of before you can fix a problem or before you can, yeah, before you can fix a problem, you have to at least first admit that you have a problem. Mm -hmm. And, and this is this, this, the, the Enneagram is all about really identifying your personality and how it intertwines with, again, since this is a, an ancient thing in a Christian perspective, even, or this book is how your human sinful human nature the negative aspects of it um how you lean into that in terms of trying to put on a front to the world whereas we want to redeem you so here's how you move towards dealing with those things in the right way towards the person that you really are mm -hmm. i guess and just so yeah. people know so the subtitle on that is a christian perspective and it's because through centuries the Enneagram has used by many different faith traditions. And for that reason, there, there have been, uh, like Rohr has been accused of a heretic for writing about the system, but there are <laughs> different frameworks to approach the Enneagram through. And that is why the subtitle is what it is and what makes it just a little bit different. Okay. That is very interesting. So this is personal. You can totally choose not to answer, but do you, do you, you feel like you know your type now? Cause it takes some people years to figure it out. I, I think I'm, on my way of figuring it out and what helps is that i i am i have been literally talking to other people who have spent you know at least a year working on their own mm -hmm. and and the you know my my guy friends my intellectual guy friends <laughs> well, obviously. yeah <laughs> and to, you know and, and so two of them are very two of them two of my friends are, are very similar to me in this and so I was able to gain from their insight I don't know that I know with certainty but again that's why I'm reading the book and I'm kind of taking my time and then having conversations with them uh -huh. about it uh-huh okay that's a good way to approach it that is interesting and not what I would have ever guessed you were reading now <laughs> Eric is there anything you want more of in your reading life you know I I think that I want to be able to sit down and have more fun. I probably ought to be reading more fiction than I am. And, and again, like I said, I'm not reading like, for example, this is no, no, what I've given listing listings out of, you know, what I'm currently reading and, and what my favorite books are like. None of those are 
well, the actually the the Sherlock one is is fun for me, mm-hmm. but the others like they're not business books, but they're not like just outright fun. They're more like self discovery and like pondering type <laughs> material, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm looking for more just enjoyment in terms of like maybe even some fiction stuff. Well, you're not going to get it from me. I'm terrified to recommend you fiction <laughs> based on that information. <laughs> okay, yeah. but we'll see what we can do. Okay, Eric, I do have ideas for you, and we will get to it right after the break. Eric, welcome back. Okay, so I feel like I have a really good bead on what you like. And I'm, I mean, I can't recommend it to you because you, you know who the people are in the Don Miller Rob Bell circles that you know and trust and like, and you don't need me to tell you who they are. And I'm not going to tell you to read essentialism or presence or, you know, any of those things because you're already there. You can find it yourself. I mean, do you, do you feel, does that feel? Oh yeah, totally. Like that's, that's, that's dead on. Totally. Okay. Which makes this kind of tricky, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay. So first, I want to know how you feel about um, books that handle heavy topics. Are you in a stage where you're comfortable reading something if you do think it will change your the way you see the world and improve your life? Or if you're like, um, no, I'm going to pass this year and maybe next. No, I'm totally open to that. Okay. What do you know about Being Mortal by Atul Gawande? I have never heard of that. Really? Okay. So this is kind of a heavy book. It's called being mortal. And I didn't read it for a long time because it sounded so heavy. Like it's his personal meditations on aging and death and dying. I think it's in the vein of when breath becomes air. Have you heard of that one by Paul Kalanithi? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but I like, I like this one a little better. So, uh, Atul Gawande, he is a surgeon. So he encounters illness every day and mortality is a very real thing for him. And like miraculously, this is maybe his fourth book give or maybe add another one possibly. Um, he's a surgeon who can write. So that in itself is like, Whoa, what that's, that doesn't happen much. Um, so a big jumping off part for him here is his own father getting older and what he sees in his patients. And what he says is I'm a surgeon. I see people live and die every single day and I see people handle it well. And I see people handling it poorly. And I see people in my profession handling it well and helping these people handle it well. And I see us doing everything in our power to say, no, no, we won't accept like the diagnosis or the treatment or whatever. Like we will find a way through. And he says, that's not actually going to do much for your quality of life. And the reason that I like this one for you is because, um, first it's really story driven. I was afraid of it because it sounded very philosophical and sad, but he tells so many engaging stories. And while some are definitely sad, some are really uplifting. Like he tells this story about putting tropical birds in an assisted living facility and how it just changed the dynamics. And I know that sounds kind of like a weird description, but the way he writes it, you're like, and then what happened? And then what happened? Just turning the pages to find out what happened next. It's about how to live a good life like right now. But you notice yourself that in your picks, um, a million miles, how to be here. And even Sherlock, a common theme is that by learning to see the world, oh my gosh. And totally the Enneagram too, by learning to see the world through a certain lens, 
and not necessarily like permanently change your worldview because Gawande talks about that, but by putting on a pair of glasses that shows you the world in a slightly different way than you're used to looking at, it changes the way you live when you take those glasses off. And it lets you live a little, a little better, a little smarter, a little wiser because of that experience you gain. And that's what I like about this. So Gawande talks so much about how our view on our life shifts based on where we think we are in the cycle. Like he talks about when his father was diagnosed with something, when he was facing surgery, his priorities radically shifted because he shifted to a very short time frame. Like maybe, maybe this is all I have. Maybe I don't have much longer, but you and I sitting here, we assume we have years and maybe we do. Hopefully we do, but shifting back and forth between those perspectives changes our priorities. Like before you could snap your fingers. So I heard so much about this book that it was riveting and absorbing and paradigm shifting and life changing. And I think that's totally true. You are not probably going to want to pick it up because there's like a leaf on the cover and it's called being mortal. But if you give it a few pages, I think you'll find that it nestles right in there with your favorites on the shelf. What do you think? Oh yeah. Like I would totally give this a chance for sure. Okay. I like it for you. I'm very curious to hear what you think. Okay. Book two, man. Okay, I'm debating between, okay, you're going to get a bonus pick. <laughs> Executive decision. All right. All right, book two. Um, what do you know about I Wear the Black Hat by Chuck Klosterman? I don't think I've heard of this before. Klosterman is a cultural critic. He's written some New York Times bestselling books. This might be one of them. So in I Wear the Black Hat, he talks all about, well, I can tell you the subtitle. It's Grappling with Villains, Real and Imagined. So I like this for you because it's about how you see the world and it plays into what it sounds like are some of your fictional interests because I'm scared to recommend fiction for you, but I can help you enjoy it more. And he will point you in the right direction of... Um, fiction that maybe you would enjoy exploring. So he is examining our cultural attitudes towards villains. Like, why do we root for Batman when really he does some bad stuff? Like, for, for a good cause, but is that really okay? But we do cheer him on, but we don't cheer on, like, Machiavelli. So he explains, like, what is the difference? Because Batman does some not good stuff. Um, my favorite chapter uh is where he explores why kids love Luke Skywalker, but adults secretly root for Darth Vader. And he talks about a wide variety of cultural figures, both fictional and not, like Kanye, the Eagles, Tiger Woods, OJ, Clinton, Chevy Chase even. So he's very readable. Like he had, he has a real talent for like the snarky one-liner. And what really surprised me about this book is the huge variety of readers who have all enjoyed it. Like my husband loved this. My brother loved it. I loved it. Like Jamie Golden loved this book, but we all loved it for very different reasons. How does that sound to you? That sounds very interesting to me. And, and even secretly when I was a kid, I always loved villains. So, <laughs> yeah, it's right up my alley. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to, uh, to hear what you think about what Chuck, Chuck Klosterman has to say about that in your childhood. <laughs> okay. Book three, we have a totally nonfiction book that reads like a novel. But first, we should say, we never talked about your social media hat. Are you still professionally a social media manager? I am, yes. That is definitely something that got me thinking about this title for you. Okay, 
What do you know about Hatching Twitter? A true story of money, power, friendship, and betrayal. I have heard of it. I have not ever read it. Okay. I like this for you because this is one of those like truth is stranger and much more readable than fiction kind of stories. Um, So this is by Nick Bilton. It is a fascinating look inside the early days of Twitter, the company. And it totally has the pacing of a good novel, even though his beats are completely 100% real. And this, I mean, it just has some gems of moments, like when the Twitter guys went to have a meeting with Mark Zuckerberg about maybe selling out and he made them all stand. And his desk was literally on a platform, didn't give him a place to sit down. I mean, you just cannot make this stuff up. So it's deeply researched, 100% true. Like he even got the official on the record reports from most of the people in the book. And this is especially interesting, I think, even though it came out several years ago, like two, 2013 or earlier, um, not too much earlier, but earlier. Twitter is continuing to uh, get a whole lot of interest for how it's being run as a company, how it's, I mean, there's been a lot of churning through Twitter and that's part of the story. So if you don't know a lot, listeners, if you don't know a lot about Twitter as a company, it, it was a startup that has had more than its fair share of drama. And that's really saying something considering it's a Silicon Valley startup in the social media space. But yeah, they continue to have more than their fair share of drama and they, everybody has their eyes on them. Be just looking to see how they handle as a, early social media pioneering company, the way they run their company, like the way they're handling like spam and abuse and stuff like that is they're constantly looked to and the founders continue to be deeply divided over how things like that should be handled. And it's obvious and makes is especially interesting um, today in light of this read of its history. How does that sound to you? Yeah, that's fascinating to me because I I am definitely in that social media realm and I really like the drama behind that kind of stuff. Um, It's human interest slash tech at the same time. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I'm not kidding. Like it reads like a novel. I think it read like totally recommended for John Krakauer fans. It has that kind of feel like meticulously researched, but like, man, can that guy tell a story? Okay, here's your bonus pick, three and a half. There's a new Enneagram book coming out in, I think, October 4th. It's called The Road Back to You. It's by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne uh, Stable. And the subtitle is An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. So this also has a a perspective from Christian spirituality. What I really like about it, I haven't finished it yet, but I've read up on like maybe seven of the nine types. He tells a really good story over and over for the different types. So it's kind of organized like the roar book. He gives you the introduction and then he breaks it down type by type. And the way he tells the stories, it really lets you see how you may or may not be those types and what those types might look like in your own life and how to interact with those types. And he starts the book with a story about his, uh, I think college age young adult daughter, who's an eight. And I've always found the eights always sounded very flat to me, but reading about her, I was like, Oh wow. I have some eights in my life. That's very (laughs) clear now. And I should, I should hedge and say like, nobody can really know your Enneagram type than you. And like, this isn't a system that will, 
I don't know. The point of the Enneagram isn't to get the Enneagram. It's just a lens. Like it's a way to try on a different pair of glasses and see the world a different way. But yeah. lenses are helpful. And I think this is a good book for understanding that lens a little more. It probably shouldn't surprise you then that uh, I pre-ordered this already. <gasps> Yay! Yeah, right. this was one that I've, this is one I'm actually looking forward to receiving in about a month. So uh -huh. I'm trying to finish the first, the other book uh, first and then have this one show up and keep going with this. That is awesome. How did you find out about it? So randomly, um, I saw that, uh, the, the, so here's the social media person in me. The author, uh, was hired by Michael Hyatt to come and teach his, uh, staff about the Enneagram. And so I saw that in an Instagram shot and I thought, Oh wow. One, he knows about what that is too. He's got a book coming out about it. I better go look that up. Uh -huh. And then three, when I dug into it a bit, I'm like, well, shoot, I'm ordering this now. So I did. That's <laughs> that was about three weeks, four weeks ago, something like that. Well, I hope you enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay. Eric, what do you think you'll read next? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, it, it may come down to uh, it's going to definitely be one of these picks because uh, as you were describing them, I went to my library site and typed them in and they have them all. So <laughs> whatever comes <laughs> I'm, I'm in first, go pick them all up. Yes. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Awesome. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Eric should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 42. That's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. And don't forget to tag the show on Instagram at what should I read next so we can see what you are reading. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Just go to what should I read next podcast.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.